Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 912 with Alan Beadle. Go find mentors in this industry now. <laughs> you know, get, a, get in a round table. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by Pop Menu. Trying to meet the demands of in-person hospitality can be demanding, which is why I recommend Pop Menu Answering. Pop Menu Answering turns every restaurant phone call into an opportunity. It uses artificial intelligence to answer the simple questions that are tying up your phone lines like, can I make a reservation or where are you located? And over 50% of restaurant guests are happy to have their questions answered by an automated system. Prevent lost customers and impress your guests with pop menu answering. And for a limited time, my listeners can get $100 off your first month, plus lock in one unchanging monthly rate at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. Go now to get your $100 off for your first month and to learn more about Pop Menu's full collection of tools at popmenu.com backslash unstoppable. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And I have to say, I haven't come across a restaurateur using Seven Shifts that hasn't been completely satisfied. Trusted by over 500,000 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the complete toolkit you need to easily manage your team's schedules, timesheets, communications, tasks, tips, and more all in one place. And because you are restaurant unstable, Unstoppable listeners, you get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven, S-H-I-F-T-S.com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. This episode is brought to you by MyRestaurantCFO.com. MyRestaurantCFO partners with restaurants to simplify financial management by offering full-service bookkeeping, payroll, and CFO services. Beyond MyRestaurantCFO's understanding of all the things that ill and plague a restaurant, MyRestaurantCFO realizes that restaurants are like snowflakes. No two are the same, so they avoid the cookie cutter approach. My restaurant CFO's goal is to be your partner in success by learning all there is to know about your business and putting together a custom solution that gives you only what you need and to be a guiding hand that helps you achieve your goals. Take action and go to myrestaurantcfo.com slash unstoppable and when you use that link, you will get a one-hour consulting session with the founder and partner, Miguel Miranda, also a past guest on the show. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest co-founder of Patrick's Pub, Alan Beadle. Alan, are you feeling unstoppable today? I am not, no. Okay. I, I feel stoppable <laughs> every day. I got to work through that. I love you know? the honesty. But you know, sometimes I do. Uh, sometimes I do, and but uh, a lot of times... No, I'm feeling stoppable, and it's like, how do I get my way around that? I'm sure that's probably the most like 
popular, honest answer that that is real. That, well, and, and I think that it's true. Like every day we feel like there's going to be something that stops us. Absolutely. But we yeah. just got to keep yeah. on showing up. Right? Yeah. I yeah. love it. Uh, yeah. So I'm really excited for today's conversation. I've driven past this location in the past and I think to myself, what a cool spot. Mm. What a big, like, like the, the cars are always packed in the, in the, in the parking lot. Uh, I think it was like maybe four summers ago before COVID-19. Yep. I was yep. like, I wonder if I'm going to get them on the show someday. Yeah. And lo and behold, here we are. Yep. Uh, I was talking to Fred Langley from restaurant systems pro. You love Frank, he's uh, like, Fred and his company. Yeah. He's, you know, I've I've been familiar with the company because David Scott Peters and David's yeah. been a, a guest on the show. I want to say like four or five times now, and I know that Fred partnered with David to 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 you know to launch grow. what they have. Now. Yeah, yeah, to launch what they have to grow Restaurant Systems Pro. Uh, they've since split, but at the same time, I'm still really interested in what's happening over at Restaurant Systems Pro, and it's one of the only one of the few I'd call. Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Enterprise solutions out there right now. Restaurant 365 gets a lot of love on this show. I'm trying to see what else is out there to, to, to offer a different perspective. And he said, I, I got to talk to you. He's like, you got to get up to, is it, we're in Guilford, right? We've come a long way um, with their help. Yeah. For sure. And I, we're going to get into that. We're going to just yeah. share your story. But let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? Okay. I don't have a successful quote. Uh, I would have to kind of do some research, and I didn't. But I do have a mantra that I use uh, with the staff, with myself, and that is, you know, make their day. Make someone's day. Make their day. Yeah. Like oh. when you get up or the beginning of a day, like who could you... Whose day could you make today with a simple act of something unexpected, generally in the domain of kindness? Yeah. But uh, it could be anything. And that's where it's fun. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a slogan taken out of the fish philosophy, if you've ever heard that. And we have all of our staff um, watch the video. It's it's like it actually. I think we just got it off of VHS onto a CD. So when you say fish, you're talking about the band? No, no. Uh, fish philosophy was. It's a company. I think it's Charthouse Learning. Okay. And they have a great video of the fish market in Seattle. This is going back. Okay. Like, I'm going to say 20 years. And what they created in this fish market, this sense of of joyfulness, of fun, of playing, of being with their customers. And they take this otherwise, you know, ho-hum fish market and put it on the map with people. And so they made a video out of it. And we use that with our staff. And so Make Their Day is like, what can you do at any moment, particularly here in the business with your table, with your guests, that's gonna catch them off guard it's unexpected they're like whoa yeah that was cool right like they, people not, expect the expected that's why they call it expectations yeah it's not easy to do but if you're looking for it there's often opportunities and if you're looking for it then boom yeah so make someone's day how often do you echo that statement in your restaurant not enough. Yeah. For sure. For sure. And I'm, t to be honest, I'm not here that much. Like I'm here with you right now. Yeah. But I, uh, I'm so fortunate. We've been here 28 years. And for the last 10, I'm not sure what the number is, but it's give or take. Um, I'm not working on the floor anymore. But you know, that's a big reason why I'm here is because I grew up in a restaurant with my parents, if they weren't, in the restaurant, the restaurant didn't function. Yeah. And that's kind of what I'm trying to teach people. Like if you want to be a business owner, 
don't make the business hinge on you in your presence. Don't make a people. This is a David Scott Peters quote. Don't make a people dependent operation, make a system dependent operation. So the fact that you aren't here every day makes me even more excited to get into your mind to, to yeah. talk about how you've gotten to this point where you don't have to be here every day. But uh, the, what I was getting at with do you echo this daily is this idea of just like language that we use is culture. You know, so Absolutely. being mindful of that language and echoing certain things. Being mindful of language yeah. is language is what you're creating in the world. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Great way to get this thing started, man. Yeah. Where does it make sense to start sharing your story? You mentioned 28 years in business. You don't have a restaurant background. No, no. I was in the computer industry and I had a nice, I thought a nice career going I down in the Boston area. And, uh, but I, as a child, I was always up in New Hampshire on Lake Winnesquam. My grandparents also were up there, both sets of grandparents. That's how my parents met out in Lake Winnesquam, actually. And, um, you know, my brother called. He was a chef. He was a trained culinary guy at Johnson & Wales. And, uh, you know, I, he had moved up to New Hampshire, and he was the chef uh, up in a resort nearby. And I think he would kind of reached his max of, you know, pay scale and, and, and just creativity. It was just the same thing. And... And this place we're sitting in um, was up was on the market. I don't remember how we heard about it, but he asked me to be a private, uh, to be an investor, okay, and to be a, a silent partner was was what I was asked. And uh, I came up and looked at it, and I'm like, yeah, I could do this much. And I think we I think we paid, uh, you know, it was maybe a hundred thousand dollars for the business, and it was just a lease. You know, you're buying the lease. Uh, we did not then own the plaza here, but we have since bought the plaza. Got it. And I would recommend, you know, to people listening that they really pay attention to their lease um, as they're building a restaurant. When did you buy the plaza? Oh, probably eight years later. Okay, so, so 2002. We, op we opened it in 94, so, you know, um, yeah, 2002 maybe, guessing. Got it. Um, so before we get into this, yep. I want to kind of find out, more about your, your past. Uh, yeah. You said you were working with computers, technology. What exactly were you doing? Or I, are you still doing that? I, I was in sales and sales management when I left. I, I was in uh, more of the technical nature for a few years. What were you selling? Um, computers. Computers, like hardware, computers? software. Okay. Yeah. A company called Burroughs. It was actually, I started out of college, adding machine company. But they, you know, they were in early with the computer business. Yeah, we're, going, we're talking 1994 right now, so that gives you an idea. How long were you with this company before? I was with, uh, well, Burroughs bought Sperry, became Unisys, and I was with them through that whole merger. And uh, I was with them about 10, 12 years. Okay. Yeah. Um, 10, 12 years. Is there, I mean, again, I know your brother was the one who was the visionary behind the pub, right? Patrick's pub. He was, it wouldn't have happened without Jeff and his wife, Wendy, for yeah, sure. Are they yeah. still a part of the business today? Not so. Uh, yes and no. Okay. I mean, we're still partners and Jeff uh, in the summer when he's here in New Hampshire likes to work uh, part-time in the kitchen. Yeah. Uh, Wendy is no longer here. I mean, okay. both of those two trained my butt cause I knew nothing about this business, yeah. but yeah. So, so I, I did a little bit of research and, and what I discovered was that like you, like again, you were the silent partner um, they're getting their, their, I think the words that you use in the, the interview I watched were getting their butts handed to them or something like that. There was a rough first couple months. It was busy. Yeah, was I, I mean, I can remember because uh, I was coming up weekends and evenings yeah. trying to get things set up with them. And I remember 
Uh, so we bought it in April. We're like, we'll open the Monday before Memorial Day weekend because that'll give us four days to iron out the kinks. Oh, that's all you need. <laughs> and we really thought like, okay, that's a good plan. Yeah. Um, and we just got our asses handed yeah, to like us. Anybody I mean, opening the first? Uh, we had a, a a private showing for our friends and family bef- before we opened the doors to the public. What a fail that was! So oh, we didn't have enough fry laters. Okay. And like dumbasses, we sat everybody at the same time. We're like, come at six o'clock. So we filled the place at six o'clock. Like, (laughs) you know, we can't do that now. Yeah, exactly. And we certainly couldn't do it then. (laughs) And I just remember being like, oh, this is this. What am I doing here? So what what I really want to get into is what did, how did your past set you up for success in this business? I think from the, uh, from the numbers side of things, you know, as I get into sales and sales management, you know, you really need to pay attention to numbers. Mm -hmm. And um, also there was uh, what I felt a a culturally uh, lacking in some of the big business, big corporate. So that was one of the reasons that attracted me to have my own businesses, to be able to have more of an impact with your employees, to really make um, a more positive impact with them. So I would say my strength from, Marketing and the numbers is what I brought here, and then learned most of the rest. So the 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 bit about uh, culture, you're saying where you were, you didn't necessarily that was missing in your life. Uh, the the culture aspect where you want and what you wanted was to be able to be a part of something that was more people oriented, hands on. Yeah, okay. yeah, for sure. Uh, and given like what were the the early lessons you learned about numbers? Because you think computer sales, restaurant industry. You're thinking restaurant industry, you're thinking P and L's, you're thinking that sort of thing. Like what number? Like what did you learn about how to look at numbers then that are serving you now specifically? How does that overlap? Is it just knowing uh, that numbers are important? Well, you know, numbers. What's your check average? Uh, what's your head count? Um, and all of those daily, weekly, monthly, and tree it up. So it's um, just over time tracking, knowing to track the numbers. Yeah, okay. yeah. What is your ideal food cost versus? Um, your actual food cost. What yeah. is that gap? Okay. Yep. Um, did you know this when you first opened? No. Oh, so we'll, no, we'll, we'll sit on that. We'll yeah. talk about the evolution. Yeah. Any other key mentors growing up, people that you think, I, I like to say behind every great restaurant is great people. Yeah. And you were a great person. You and your brother were great people before the restaurant. What made you guys who you are today? What was the culture? What was your history? Like, you know, one of the things uh, that impacted my life a lot is um, an organization called Landmark Education. Okay. And uh, somewhere when I was in the computer industry, I did their introductory course, Landmark Forum, and it had a big impact on me and my outlook and, um, you know, how I viewed the world. How did it change? Who were you then and who were you after that experience? Um, I was more fearful. Um, I was less expressive um, of love um, for my parents, for my family, from in my relationships, trying to, you know, play safe. Um, what made it, you less fearful? What was it that they taught you that gave you that different perspective? I honestly don't know. <laughs> I honestly don't know. No, I mean, we're going back. Yeah. Like, like almost. Yeah. Over 20 years. Yeah. yeah, I've had some of my managers Over 30 uh, participate. And, you know, it's it's not about the business. <clears throat> it's about them. 
Yeah. But, you know, whenever... Uh, so it's not about the business, it's about them, your employees? Right. Got it. Yeah, so I have had several managers um, participate and they get what they get out of it. You know, it could be something in their relationship with their parents, could be with their children, could be, you know, um, you know, and maybe it, and likely it will show up in work, but yeah. that's not what it's about. What was the appeal of Landmark? What were they? What were they selling you? Why? Why come do this this course or this program? Uh, you know, I had a I had a great friend, um, and uh, and she told me about it, and I had great trust and great respect for her, and because I would never have gone even to an introduction. It's like woo woo stuff. Yeah, and um, it's less that way, but it was like that way for me. I'm like uh, I don't know, but I. I had enough trust in her that I went and yeah. I had enough trust in her that I took it. Yeah. And that was, yeah, that was really impactful. And my parents have taken, my brother's taken, you know, so you kind of share that and, and then people get what they get out of it. It's, you said it made you less fearful. I asked you, what were you afraid about? Um, I mean, reflecting back, like what, what do you mean by that? Less fearful? What, like, can you think, can you try to put yourself? You know, into I that think position? we're all, uh, I don't know, you know, we're all wanting to look good and not make mistakes and, you know, get through, unscathed um and so like i don't know why i'm doing this i probably wouldn't do this before <laughs> i mean you're already dropping lessons on us, man. Like, <laughs> i know but I, I knew you were like awesome yeah i i don't know i don't have that thought for sure what you just said but i, I um i guess i'm willing to put myself out there a little bit more i think that what i've noticed because i agree like and, I, and through my experience of talking to people and in in trying to apply what I'm learning during these interviews. Yeah. This idea of, um, we are like in by nature defensive. We are afraid. We are fearful. It's, it's human instinct to, to that's why we survive so long is because we are fearful. We, we're on guard. We're, we're projecting what we think is going to happen. And we, we plan, we, we, we are always on guard. Uh, but at the same time, I think that we, as humans, we, we focus on what's immediately around us, like what we're immediately doing. We don't see the big picture. We're so in our own bubble, in the little things that we see every day. Sure. What are people going to think of me? Here's the truth. Nobody gives a fuck about you and what's happening in your life because they have their own shit to worry about. And like, just once you realize that the world is much bigger than your little bubble. Yeah. And that like all these things that you're afraid of are mostly in your head and that you're closed off when you're like that and you're not, you're closing yourself off the opportunities. If you open up, I mean, what's going through your mind? I'm trying to prime well, the engine right now. Yeah. Well, it's back, you know, you, you said something about conversation and words and language and you know, that's what we're living in is our own, uh, what's happening in our head. What's the background conversation that I'm having and how that impacts who I'm being right now. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, being more mindful of what you're creating mm. and, and trying to be, um, you know, positive, you know, such as positive thinking, but, um, it's, it's in that direction. It's in that lane. Got it. Yeah. Um, what, what's the power of expressing love? Like you were, uh, I think we came, uh, you know, and I find this from a lot of people I've talked to cause I'll share like I never, my father never said I love you to me and I never said it to him until after I did the program. And I said, I think I was like 20 and I'm like, dad, he's in bed. Do you realize that we've never told each other we love each other? I think this is like a recent phenomenon for a lot of ma like males. Like, yeah, well, uh, and he, and it was like kind of, it was, it was really a great moment. Um, it didn't end there, you know, but it began like opening because it's just uncomfortable. It was yeah. like hugging people and hugging, 
you know, just it's it's just so much more freedom to express joy and love. I yeah. think. Yeah. So yeah. My, my, you're kind of reminding me of my own relationship with my dad. My dad grew up in Boston, the streets of Boston. You know, kind of a tough guy, 100 mm. percent Italian, Sicilian. Uh, you know, like he's <laughs> like, yeah, good old boy. You know, like like he grew up in the streets of Boston. And uh, same story. Like I one day I just started saying I love you. And the first time I said it to him, it caught him off guard. He was just like, what did I do? But now like, <laughs> what'd I, you do? But yeah, but now I have to say, but like I keep, I kept saying, it, kept saying it. And now he says it right back. He doesn't even think about it. Yeah. And it's powerful. What I'm got like, you there? I don't even remember. Big, it was big for me. I think like it's just it, from the people saying like, tell like you, you don't wait until it's don't have any regrets. Yeah. If you love somebody, let them know and say it and reinforce it. And, and just by Giving love, you get love. You know, you got to give it before you get it. Yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I'm loving the conversation, man. Um, so you're you kind of set us up. You're saying your brother uh, was in the industry. Um, he looked for you to be a silent investor. You're doing good in the computer world. You get yeah. involved. Uh, I think now is a good time to take our first break to thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back to kind of dive into how it all unfolded. Restaurants have been hit hard over the past few years, which means restaurant owners and staff have been working harder than ever. Trying to meet the demands of in-person hospitality can be demanding, which is why I recommend Pop Menu Answering. Pop Menu Answering turns every restaurant phone call into an opportunity. It uses artificial intelligence to answer the simple questions that are tying up your phone lines like, can I make a reservation or where are you located? And over 50% of restaurant guests are happy to have their questions answered by an automated system. Within the pop menu platform, you can customize answers for your restaurant and choose the voice your guests hear and even send follow-up links via text message. Pop Menu Answering picks up your phone 24-7, 365 days a year, allowing you and your team to focus on what matters most. Prevent lost customers and impress your guests with Pop Menu Answering. And for a limited time, my listeners can get $100 off your first month, plus lock in one unchanging monthly rate at popmenu.com slash unstoppable Go now to get your $100 off for your first month and to learn more about Pop Menu's full collection of tools at popmenu.com backslash unstoppable. We're back and let's start getting into the actual story. So you, like I said, you met, you set us up. Your brother was a chef. He wanted to open his own restaurant. He was doing the, the corporate uh, hotel situation, uh, resort situation, had enough Correct. of that. Yep. Um, he pulls you in. Like what? What was it about this space? Did he find the location? Yep. Were you a part of the planning? Yeah, no, no. He found it. He visited it because he was working only, say, 15 miles from here. What was the appeal about this location? Do you remember? Um, well, it's a great location. I mean, it's good traffic. It's on a corner. Yep. Uh, a lot of visibility. Great exposure. Is, yeah. So, but um, I, think, I think he likes the bar. I mean, it's nice and open. And we, I think we all like that. And we're all, when we go out to eat, we go right to the bar. Yep. Uh, that's our first choice. But, and so when you're in the pub, you see everyone, everyone kind of sees you and it's a very social place. And I don't know if that's what he liked. I honestly didn't ask him at the time, but I know he wanted to get this. So it was a bar before he took over. Yeah, it was a pub. It was a pub. So yeah, it was it. a true Irish pub then. Okay. I mean, the guy that opened this made a boatload of money in barcodes. He... 
reti- he retires with his money, builds himself an Irish pub, names it after his father. Did he have a mansion on the lake too? No, he had a couple of big boats though. Okay. I don't know where. Yeah, he had a place in the lake, but it was for, for so, our listeners. We're like maybe what three, four miles from Winnipesaukee. Oh no, we're like uh, three hundred yards. Three hundred yards. Yeah. From okay. Yeah. yeah it's right Just over. across the street. Yeah. So. Uh, this this area is uh, very seasonal, safe to say. Very seasonal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's the biggest challenge of yeah. of us. Uh, well, not not the biggest, but it's a big challenge. How how up and down. The well, when it's busy, goes. it's busy. It's I'm cranking. sure this place is full. Yeah. Um, so so go ahead. So where were we? So he's he's um, so he's taking over. Was it was it Patrick's pub before? Did you? It was Patrick's it? pub. Okay. okay. Yes. Thank you. Was your brother Patrick? No, we have <laughs> no Patrick. Okay. In fact, we're not really that Irish, although we probably have a little Irish going yeah. back, mostly English okay. in the UK. But so there's got to be some Irish in there. And Anglo-Saxon, uh, it's all the same. We were going to, if we had the time and the money, we would have changed the name. We're like, okay. we're not an Irish pub, you know, but we literally had no time and no money to get this thing up and rolling. And, you know, there was a lot of uh, marketing material and signage and so forth. And we're like, let's just, let's just go with it. And I'm, and you're looking back, we're so grateful we did because we've embraced Ireland. We've had many trips over there with our customers and we've tried to make this, you know, a version of an Irish pub. Um, honestly, I think that works against us a little bit. But anyway, I'm getting off track. So so Brett, Jeff opens up the restaurant in, in Wendy. They were both in food service. And on the Monday before Memorial Day weekend, and off they go. It's it's killing it, and and they're they're stressed to the max. And I'd come up weekends and get stressed, and then go home and work my job. And I think it was in uh, the beginning of July because I was on vacation with my family on Cape Cod, and he calls and it's like, "We need you here, you know, like full time. You you need to think about that." And I'm like, "You what?" And, it's not uh, what I signed up for, bro. It's not what I signed <laughs> up for, uh, but I had an, uh, enough of an idea what I was getting into, and I the big draw was New Hampshire and this area because I spent summers here, and I loved it up here, and I always wondered, how would I ever get back because there's not a it lot a special of, area. It's not a lot of great jobs up here. Did you grow up in Boston? Is that where you said you were? Uh, south of Boston. South yeah. of Boston, yep. got it. Um, keep going. So, yeah, so, so um, I talked it over and with my wife and how she feel about that i think she was just as scared as i was yeah. you know so how I, old are you at this time not to date you so i was like 38 maybe okay are you retired what? did you retire from your sales you job think about that yeah wow so you you had a really successful career in sales i did yeah yep, yep. so uh, so i was like how are you gonna be able to run a restaurant and being a full-time employee with a sales job so that's kind of what was in the back of my mind you know, I, I looked at the career path, yeah. okay, and I had some mentors there, you know, district managers, every man, and I'm like, oh, man, those guys are working their asses off right up till retirement, and it just keeps getting more and more on them. And I'm like, it doesn't look that, you know, maybe that's not the life I want to go. I knew I wanted to be up here. I love my brother. So we gave it a shot. I mean, I took probably, uh, I don't know, 60% pay cut, um, maybe a little more to come here, but enough. We rented a place and we made the numbers work and we were off and running. And I'd say, you know, so I was getting trained by Wendy about, you know, hosting and, and serving and busing and all of the things out front and, you know, learning from them. 
and I learned a lot of great lessons from them. And we we were all about the customer. I mean, yeah. things have changed a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. In the, since the pandemic, we've changed. We've changed, but we would. I'm excited to talk about that change, yeah. but I feel like from like. 1994 to 2020 there's probably a lot of other like other transformation other evolution personally from like like this was your brother's first restaurant that he owned right correct but he was he was an executive chef but before that did he ever own a restaurant was ever a partner there's a lot of differences between being a chef and a restaurant owner yeah he was in a lane before but what changed, like even talking to your brother, reflecting back at that time, what were some of the challenges for Wendy and your brother and yourself that like that looking back at it after knowing who you are now and how you've evolved? It, it was pure survival. I mean, he, he he just and we had a great partnership because he just did the kitchen and I did everything else up front. Yeah. And um, and so those were both our strengths. And Wendy was out front with me teaching me. But, you know, um, that's where the numbers come in. And, you know, I would say it was five years, Eric, before we were like, okay, we're going to make it this winter. You know, every, it was just tough making payroll, making the numbers work. We were adding menu items. We had a voluminous menu. We were adding hours to get more revenue. And, you know, looking back, probably wasn't the greatest to do okay you know, so trying to be everything to everyone it's hard to be profitable doing that pretend that the uh 30 or the 40 year old version of yourself is sitting beside you right the mm-hmm. when during this this five-year period from 38 to 42 knowing what you know now what advice would you give that version of yourself that was adding more hours adding more menu yeah items? what it, do you know now that you wish you knew that the thing that i would have told is go find mentors in this industry now <laughs> you know, get uh, get in a round table. Melting pot of mentors, man. There's a reason why it's on the logo. That's what it's all about. Don't try to invent success mm-hmm. uh, in this business because there's so many people willing to share yeah. what they've learned and and what to focus on. And, you know, every, every restaurant's different, but, but some things are not. You know, managing costs is not different. And yeah. knowing what each plate cost is and... Um, so that was the yeah. first thing that was going through my mind when you were saying oh, we started adding hours, we started adding menu items. In the back of my mind, I'm like, you're adding expenses because yeah. now you're opening up more hours. You need to pay people to be there. But is the revenue there to, to justify that? The, res- the revenue wasn't there, which is why you were doing it because you thought that that's how you'd get more revenue. About, um, I'm going to say eight years ago, I was I'm in a round table and we, we did this exercise. Let's Let's look at your lunch business and expenses and I you know and it was a project I maybe I'd thought about it but I hadn't really run the numbers and I ran the numbers and I'm like it's marginally profitable so let's keep doing it you know maybe we can build it Mm -hmm. Um, but you know now since the pandemic instead of uh, seven days a week two shifts a day we're six days a week with no lunches midweek. Wow. Just two lunches. Yeah. I was going to point to the pandemic as a great lesson that when the the stuff hit, did hit the fan, yeah. the way that everybody who did survive survived was through getting lean and knowing their lane, knowing 
okay, when do we do our most business? Let's just open then and yeah. cut back on hours, cut back on labor expense, cut what's 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 not performing on our menu. Let's get rid of that stuff and just focus on carrying what we need. And it almost like forced this evolution to the industry that was needed where everybody was trying to be everything to everyone. And now we're, we're starting to stay in our lanes and, and narrow our focus. Yeah, exactly. Um, That's exactly what we're, we're staying in that lane. Yeah. We're not, uh, we might pick up a shift or two, but you know, the, and I said earlier about one of the reasons I wanted to have my own business was to have a greater impact with our employees and, and be a, better culture and and the pandemics force that even more on us you know wages benefits um outings with the staff and you know how so making the employee experience what is their first day on the job like um all of those things making that employee experience a better experience is our number one focus now and yeah. and having that day off that just which is i think what i brought me here was uh you know our executive chef our general manager those are true days off for them when when they've got a couple days off but the business is running they're getting calls you know maybe half the time i don't know it, it you know where's this what happened you know and they're getting calls and it's not a true day off so I don't know that we'll. I don't know that we'll ever pick. We, we might keep that day off. Yeah, I, I bookmarked this, and I, that's another thing that happened. Trying to be everything to everybody meant that we were doing breakfast, lunch, dinner. You know, yep. we never left the restaurant. Yep. We never found that balance. But again, I think the pandemic forced that balance yep. uh, as a byproduct of of narrowing our focus. But I bookmarked this stuff because I think it's important. I want to come back to it. Back to your timeline. Back to this idea. Um, of the advice you're giving yourself in the first five years, the, the evolution of that first five years, you said you went and you got mentors and they, what were the first, probably not the first five years after the first five years. Yeah. I'm going to say after the first five years and I wished I'd done it day one. Yeah. So was that, would you say that's the point where like you really took a turn and, and started to like really accelerate as a, as a, we took the biggest turn when we met David Scott Peters and Fred, yeah. When and was that in the in the time? We went to Vegas. It was okay. kind of like, I don't know, David had these crazy emails and crazy claims. And like, so Jeff and I, let, let, let's go to Vegas. Let's sit in. And that led to working with them and learning more about operating our restaurant, operating our business, what, doing it successfully. What year was that Vegas trip, would you say? Probably early 2000s, yeah, mid 2000s. Yeah, yeah. Any other evolutions before that point? Yeah, yeah. Because we had, um, we started, uh, so I'm going to say five years in, maybe maybe five years in, I started a round table with five or six New Hampshire restaurants. A couple that are close by now. One one that moved in very close and, and, and it became a little bit too, you know, it was just too close. Not that we weren't friends and that we still support each other, but it was a little too close. What do you mean by com- that, too close? Just kind of competitive. You know, like T-Bone's up the street, yep. Fratello's up the street. They were part of this. Those were the two closest. And then um, Common Man was in it, uh, Barley House and Concord. And it was, but also we didn't have anyone running it. So it kind of, 
it you, you need you almost need to invest in someone to book it get people there facilitate it cuz so much there's so much value there from like minded people in like minded industries that yes. it's just you know so most recently i've been in a round table that's you know there's a restaurant in hawaii there's um ohio there's a new york new jersey uh wisconsin was it wisconsin the blue line uh in michigan i think okay you know and so you get on zoom and and uh a guy um named joel would would facilitate it you know and it was it was great it's just you know and sometimes you'd be like oh that was maybe not the greatest hour of my time but and then the next time you're like, oh, wow, this is a whole new way to think of something on a personal basis or, or at the restaurant, you know? Yeah. Well, you're describing other people, another name for it, it sounds very familiar, uh, familiar, familiar, well, I'm struggling talking this morning, is a, a mastermind, you know, and it's like a roundtable or a mastermind. Exactly, yeah. It's getting together yep. with people who have similar uh, goals and ambitions and doing the similar work and you say, okay, what are you good at? Well, what are you good at? This is what I'm good at. This is what I'm good at. And collectively, you have the knowledge, the experience, the skill sets to be stronger together. And you can lean on each other. And you don't have to do it alone. Uh, and I encourage everybody to do this. And, and I think this is a big issue with our industry for the longest time. And I think you kind of pointed at it. You said it too close. They're too close. They're too. They're they're um they're almost competitors. But there's like the stigma about working with people in your community where you don't want to give away your secrets because they might. Yeah, if you I give mean, away your knowledge to your your competitor. They might they might beat you with it. But th yeah. that 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 is a very that's fear. That's we started this conversation talking <laughs> about fear. The the opposite is true. The more you you get out there and you you talk to people in your community and you work together, you go further together than you would ever go by yourself. I'd say I think mostly that's true. Yeah. What's yeah. where mostly? What are the challenges with that? Because you say mostly true. Well, I, I do think um, it's just people are more relaxed. You know, maybe maybe you <laughs> the group as a whole should have a little space between it. So, like, I think an ideal thing, if I was to do another roundtable in New Hampshire, you know, let me get someone from Plymouth, from Concord, from Portsmouth, from, you know, and, and, and that's, that's good. But if you have, you know, four people from Guilford, it's too close. Yeah. And people aren't going to open up as now. Even though, you know, we're all going to benefit, there's still, you know, I, I don't, there's certain things you don't want to share with the guy next door. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I can see that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's like you're afraid if you get, I mean, I, I can see, I can see that angle. I can see why that might be challenging. But when you did have these meetings and when you continue to have them to this day, cause you, now you're doing with people across the country, yep. what are the, what's the format? What does it look like? Um, usually people say, Hey, uh, I want to talk about, uh, you know, POS or I, I want to talk about, um, you know, pay at the table or whatever, you know, or, because everyone has some different restrictions. I mean, like the California labor laws versus in New York. We'd hear the stories from those guys because there's a guy in California, or there was, and a, and a guy in New York. And you hear about some of the laws and stuff that they have to go through. And you're like, oh, you know, that's um, maybe not always helpful, but it's educational to see they're making it. They're paying, you know, they're paying servers I don't know, 10, 12 bucks yeah. an hour. We're paying our servers three and a quarter or 350. Yeah. 
And it's like, whoa, that's a lot of hours. That would be huge cost. How would we revamp our business if yeah. that was the case yeah. here? Yep. But anyway. Uh, so you started doing these masterminds. You started learning from other people. Um, before you, you brought David Scott Peters and Fred on, um, to, you started investing in their knowledge. What were the key changes that got you from 19, what was it, uh, 99, we'll say, because you said about five years in. So 1999 to maybe five or six years later until you, you cross Did we paths. get to those guys? Yeah. I think it was a focus on growth and like just having the top line save us. Okay. You know, and I love um, engaging with the community in a variety of things. Um, I feel like it's the restaurant is a great vehicle to engage in the community and different projects that, you know, some you're more interested than others, you know, yeah. what sports teams or you know, but then you find your passions and you you just you you use the restaurant to to um, impact some of those programs. Fundraising is a big one. And I'm pretty good at fundraising. Uh, and, you know, you meet people and you learn to create win win strategies to raise money and raise awareness of both the nonprofit maybe that you're doing and your restaurant at the same time. And to me, I became pretty good at that. Yeah. Yeah. So let's go to the, the idea of focusing. You said you, if you first said you focusing on growth, top line growth, what yep. were the things that you did to improve your top line? Growth? Oh, you know, music trivia, um, team trivia, open mic, uh, live music, uh, painting parties, um, you know, Always uh, Halloween, you know, every season you're doing events, parties. Like there was always something in yeah. press releases yeah. out there. It was before social media was so big in this game. But, you know, just there's always something happening here yes. at Patrick's. And owning, that's what yeah. we did. Owning the restaurants, the operations, the day-to-day, -day, that's just the beginning. Really, especially if you're a pub, I, I feel like bars more so, you're an event like coordinator like you, you that, throw events that's like, my wheelhouse that's yeah. my strong suit i i'm not a culinary guy I, you know i don't ask me what we have on tap i can't tell you um but i liked creating a great atmosphere you know and like to me when i walk in if the temperature and the music and the tvs and uh right off the bat i'm like you know, why isn't this right? I mean, it happened today. We came in and the air conditioning wasn't on. And you're like, these guys in the summer, like, you know, like you got to have that air conditioning going full circle because you want the table to be cold. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's the details. Yeah. Yeah. And and so um, so that's what I like to do. And that's what I did. I mean, yeah. you still have to do the other stuff. I mean, you still have to have the right staff trained and the right numbers on and, and that kind of thing. So what have you learned about creating an event and promoting that event and making sure people actually show up. What kind of things that people want to do? What have you seen that sticks and what doesn't stick? You know, um, it's always trial and error. Um, but when you find something that it looks like it's going to work consistency over time, it's, I find it unbelievable that like, you know, if you start doing something, we started doing comedy, um, I'd say the first or second year here, Thursday Night Comedy. We did it for 10 years. And, 
you know, and then we and then we had this issue about operating like a nightclub and, and we weren't sprinklered and we were going to have to spend half a million dollars to sprinkle the place. So we stopped comedy and we didn't bring drum kits in for our live music. And so we're no longer they're not going to say we're a um, uh, a live music place or a, a, what's the word I'm trying to think? A venue. Yeah, the, it's a type of venue. It's a you know, club. Uh, it's a club, yeah. yeah. We were operating as a club, and we're not a restaurant. So we had to kind of dial that in a little bit. But my point is is that, you know, so we stopped doing comedy. But years later, people are like, you guys still doing comedy, right? I mean, you, you start doing something. It takes years to, like, get that really out there. I don't care how much money you spend and how much social media. It's consistency. Yes. So if you find something that's working... I say you just got to stay with it as long as you can and build that knowledge in the community. It's word of mouth. Yeah, people need to you do something two or three times. It takes time for people to be like, oh, like, you know, down at Patrick's, they do this thing. And, like, and the word has to get out. It'll yeah. take months, if not years. And the same is true to just opening a restaurant. Consistency, persistence, five years you said it took you to get to the point where you weren't worried that you were going to, you know, make it. Yeah. Maybe a little year. longer. Maybe a little longer. <laughs> yeah, I think that's yeah. the point is when people open a restaurant, they don't, they open with just enough to get the door open. They have no operating capital in the bank. Yeah. They have no runway and they never, they don't, even if things are going good and scaling they end up running out of money before they get to that point where they're really good. It takes time yeah. to it, get going in this industry, whether it, you're opening or you're developing a, a program, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, um, so consistency is big. Any other, what about promoting the actual, like the event? Is it just doing it really well and hoping that the people talk about it or do you get out there and do you promote? You know, it was always, um, I always felt that you want to advertise in certain places so that they're always picking up your press releases. Now, of course they'll say, uh, newspapers will say, oh, we don't, you know, we run every press release the same whether you're an advertiser with us or not but building a relationship with whether it's a radio station or a, a newspaper um, they cater to people who are doing business with them and so getting pictures and press releases about your events was that was kind of the beginning how, how to get it out there now we have uh, someone really great who helps us with social media and our graphics and you know, we try to we try to keep that interesting and, and light and entertaining and, you know, use that as best we can as well. But that's how, you know, and then, of course, there's your customers and we have, you know, you're building email lists. That's been going on forever. And, <clears throat> you know, you're building email. You've got a newsletter maybe that you're handing out, all those things. You, you, you want people when they get in the door to hear what's happening. Then you don't want them to leave without knowing that, you know, you're doing something special next week. Yeah, so um, you mentioned something that's big, and I think probably the best way to promote yourself in today's age, I think broadcasting is great, but the best way to, to communicate with your guests, in my opinion, is direct mail marketing, uh, which you mentioned, email, building your list. When did you know about the significance of building a list? When did that come, into, come onto your radar? Was that a marketing thing that you, you picked up from your advertising days? Or your, your, your sales days? I don't... I don't remember, honestly, but yeah. it's been a long time and we've been building it from the beginning. We started with comment cards and you'd take... So from the very, from 1994, you had comment cards where you were collecting... Maybe not at 94, but by 95 okay. or 6, we had comment cards, with, went down with every check and, and I don't know 
I don't know when email started. I'd, you'd have to, I'd have to go back. But as soon as email was a thing, we were collecting emails. And, you know, half of them you couldn't read and so forth. But you, you, you were developing a list. And, and yeah. we started, I don't rem- even remember, uh, you know, this is way before Constant Contact and all these other things were out there. Um, I don't remember what we were using at the time, but well, you said you started with um, just comment cards, yeah, like literally. So like, leave a comment, leave your your name, your email, and we'll get back to you. Was that is that was that the approach? Do you remember? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do you remember what and, else? In fact, it said you know um, unless you check here, we're going to put you on our email list or something like that. Okay. You know? And do they get anything in return? Like, would you offer like a like a coupon if they filled it out? Like, hey, like submit this with your information. We'll send you an email for twenty percent off your next. No, not at that point. No. Okay. No. Um, any other early on approaches to collecting emails? Yeah, I remember. <laughs> yeah, putting a kiosk in the front of the pub over here. Really. And uh, trying to capture them right there. You know, developing a little app ourselves. And we worked on that, but it never, you know, we, we had a computer up there and people would be messing with the computer and the next thing it's not working. And yeah. it just didn't work out. If there was a third party that created something like that, that was this fun way to just, you know, give your and give your email and or your name, phone, whatever it is, and you get something for it and it's fun experience, I think those would go, do well. But, you know, you've got to build that and that's... That was beyond our. There's, yeah, there's companies that do this now, and I'm I'm having such a brain fart. Um, it's going to come to my mind eventually. I will absolutely. I can't believe I'm not remembering the name of the company. But I'm I mean, sure. we tried creating our own, and it just was it was too much work, too much time to oh, get it right. It's, it's embarrassing. This, this guy <laughs> has been on the show. We've talked. Oh my god, Zach Oates from. I don't know why the name of the company is escaping, but Zach Oates. And I will think of the name before the end of our conversation. But yeah, it, it's uh, basically just exactly that, where it's uh, before your customer leaves, there is uh, an opportunity. I think, be, how do, exactly does it work? But basically, do you have any comments? Do you have any feedback? And then you're giving your, your guests an opportunity to, if they are bad in a bad mood or they don't, or they're not happy with the experience, you're giving them that opportunity to vent before they go online, right? But you're also yeah. capturing their contact information and you're getting an opportunity to rewrite the end of the story and yes. make things right. Yeah. And so you're, yep. you're yeah. building your list and you're growing a relationship and it's and maybe heading off ovation. Any, it's the name of the company. ovation. Ovation. Okay. Zach Oates ovation. Um, love what they're doing over there, but yeah. Um, so this idea of building lists, what are you doing today? What are all the things you're doing today to build your list? I know you have, well, you Zenrich. signed on to our uh, Wi-Fi, yep. which people still do. Although I think it's, I think it's declining a little bit because you know LTE or or um, you know the your cellular service is, is getting so good. Yeah, especially up um, here in, in New Hampshire. I bet fifteen years ago it wasn't what it was. Yeah, so it used to be everyone would log in, so we'd capture it at that point, and then we would have we were using a product called ZenReach, and we're still using that actually. But past uh, guest I see the, the show. Sorry, past sponsor, past sponsor, past guest. Yeah, I great mean, company. great product. Yeah. Uh, I'm still sending out my emails with that, and we get smart emails that generate automatically depending on, you know, how many times you've come or not come or that kind of thing. Okay. Um, we're really getting into toast now, and since the pandemic, yes. we we kind of turned uh, and went with them, and they have some things that we're getting better at using, which is you know we're capturing. Uh, emails at online ordering, mm-hmm. which went from pretty much nothing for us to 
about 10%, 11% right now. To give the listeners an idea uh, of the type of your pub, a a kitchen, bar, kitchen, how many seats? We're licensed for 300 people in here, but um, there's probably 200 seats. We already pointed out that you're known for your, the experience you're creating, the in-house experience. Most of your revenue was coming from in-house dining is the point I'm trying to make. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's what you're geared towards. That's what you focused on. 70% food, 30% alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that must have hit you guys hard. But what else? So we talked about constant contact, just this asking people for uh, like a, a comment card. Um, not constant contact. Zen reach is what we mentioned. Yeah. Any other tools you use to, to capture emails? Um, I'm going blank. No. I, I, so once you have the emails, what's your approach to the, is it just keeping people up to date? So with we, what's happening? we do a weekly email Mondays at uh, two 30 cause yeah. we open at four on Monday. We get it out at two 30 and uh, every Monday we have what we call an insider deal, which is um, a menu, spe- a special item the chef has prepared that's on our specials for the week. But if you come in and say, I want the insider deal, you get five bucks off. So it's a targeted, you know, let's not, let's not give it to everyone who walks in the door. As I said, this is a tourist place. And if you don't need to give that away, we don't. But for our regulars, they know about the insider deal. They look at it. If it's something they're interested in, they try it and get five bucks off. So that's that. And then a very short, um, message for the week maybe something's happening maybe we're we've got something special going on we tell them about or i'm shout out to another local business you know that i might i might link this thing depending on after i listen to it if i <laughs> want to share this with my customers <laughs> that'd be great you know that, but it, but you just brief so um and then of course you have your links to the website and any entertainment you're doing and so forth yeah show your work yeah. It's the approach. Yep. What are what are you working on? Like everything is content. People want to know what's happening behind the scenes. What are you doing to make their experience better? They want to know. Yep. They want to know what are you what, what are you doing on the side that they might be your whole life story as a restaurant tourist here? Like I want I'm interested. I, I want to hear that. You know, like <laughs> just show know. your work. Like what are you doing? And people are like anything is an opportunity to bring people in, right? Yep. yep. I and as I said, we do a lot of partnering with charitable organizations in the community and so that's a big part of that's a good transition yeah yeah because you were just saying that uh, you started engaging into the community so go continue that training yeah um i want to tell you about this event that we created and and i want the listener to consider doing a similar event in their venue and if they want any assistance or talk about it to 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 check with me at uh, info at patrickspub.com so okay. info at patrickspub.com so so we always <clears throat> there's a local charitable organization called the children's auction and every december they do a, a live auction uh, and, and now it's streams and it's on radio and all the stuff and we always used to participate with that and 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 raise some money on our own and bring down a check and it was all very fun and exciting and uh, and this is this money goes to organizations that support children, primarily children and families and that need help. So um, so we were participating as a team, Patrick's, at a local health club on a cycle mania, 24 hour event. Patrick's had its own 
cycle, stationary cycle, and people would spend one, two hours on the cycle, and then someone else would come on, and you'd contributed money, and so we'd raise like a thousand bucks, and I was the team captain, and I was sitting on there like three in the morning talking to the guy next to me, and I'm like, this is pretty interesting, you know, I wonder if you could do this on a bar stool, and that was the beginning of pub mania a 24-hour barstool challenge. We call it the world's greatest barstool challenge. I love it. And over the next 11 years, we raised $2.3 million doing this, what became a incredibly fun, successful, um, overwhelming, to me, I'm pointing at myself, event. Like, so, so uh, let's just say that Restaurant Unstoppable, we got them on board, we ended up with, uh, you'd get a bar stool. Yeah. Now we only have 25 at the bar and we had, you can see the team names that are yeah. still up. We, we had, I think we were up to say 31, 32 teams. Each team has a bar stool. They, that team commits to have a seat in that bar stool each hour, a different seat. This is not a drinking festival because some people would get confused. Like, oh, I'm gonna sit for 24 hours and drink. No, a different person each hour. So each team has 24 people, therefore, on their team. Got it. Each person, they raise, they, they say, I'm going to raise at least 100 bucks, so I'm going to do this. And, and the teams became creating their own events. And, I mean, we had teams raising a lot of money. So first year out, $27,000 in 2000, oh, man, 2009. And... We just went from there, 45,000, 67,000, wow. 100,000. The last time out uh, before the pandemic, 2019, was like $367,000 wow. we raised. And we had a great time doing it. Every hour, we either had live entertainment during, we had a couple of weird things in the beginning, opening ceremonies, poetry hour, then live music for say 10 or 12 hours. Yeah. And then through the wee hours of the night, it was open mic, it was lip sync, it was talent hour, it was whatever we could come up with. And so you get a different group of people coming in every hour and you're entertaining them for an hour and, and then another group comes in and we're collecting money and we're selling 50, 50. I mean, it was just exhausting. We'd get out of here at noon the next day. Oh, wow. And we'd had the referees that were judging and evaluating the teams. It was- What are they being judged on exactly? Participation so, primarily. Okay, so you being get twenty-four nice. people, and they have to participate in the events. Yeah, or, yeah, okay, yeah. If you if your team, if your guy for the two o'clock in the morning hour didn't do an open mic, you get no points on that okay. guy. So you you ac accumulate points over the twenty-four hour period. Yeah, yeah. with twenty-four different people, three winners. There's outstanding participation. Okay, based on how your team did with all the events, top dollar team which was a big the, award. The second one. That's the big one. Who, who brings in the most money? Who, which team brings in the most money? And then um, Feeding Families Award was which team brought non-perishable items, which we would track over the course of the year to the local food pantries. You can okay. bring it to anyone. We tracked it. We give an award for it. Put all that together. That's Pubmania, the world's greatest barstool challenge. And I, so when the pandemic came, we're like, we're not going to be able to do this. This place is just packed. Yeah. Like we'd have the fire to bump. When does this happen? What time of year? Does it was uh, it was a, a Thursday uh, morning in December, depending on when the auction was. The Thursday before the auction ended, and it was twenty four hours. Yeah, yeah, into Friday morning. So 
is this kind of like a like a bikeathon or like a walkathon where if you're participating in this, you go to people to like sponsor you, you raise money? To yes, do? that's okay. definitely one of the ways. Okay. I mean, some people just write checks. Okay, depend which team. You know, you have the the local country club team. Maybe people come down and they just write checks, and and that's they don't do maybe much fundraising. And others work their asses off at you know bingo and you know you name it jeans day it could be anything and they're raising money throughout the year and you know doing it that way there's a hundred ways to raise money Interesting. And we've been and then we get involved as patrick's at supporting those teams and and coaching them and trying to communicate through the year to have them have as much fun before and during this event so they'll come back the following year yeah, this is almost like I think we could do a little workshop around this, maybe a live event. In so you were talking earlier about uh, your your roundtables, right? And yep. coming together. That's exactly why I started Restaurant Unstoppable Network, which is literally me trying to connect all my past guests with each other and the next generation of professionals, just coming together and sharing knowledge. Um, what was my train of thought on this? Oh. I, if you're interested, I'd like to have a live event in the network. You don't have to answer me now, but I think that'd yeah. be cool to really go deep into this and kind of like step by step how to yeah. how to set this up. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to because it's it's a yeah. it's a great. I, I know a couple of the places that have done it and have, they've raised um, good money, but it's it's a lot of work and oh, yeah. and it became. I I remember the last few years I was like, oh my god, how do I ever get out of this thing? I mean, because it was it was becoming a big part of of the restaurant and mine and our, even our family's role to pull this off. Yeah. I mean, how do you walk away from raising $367,000? It's hard. And so when the pandemic hit, I have a friend who has passed and he taught me the lesson of don't let a good um don't let a good crisis go to waste. And <laughs> and so we we pivoted then and created a version of Pubmania. It's called the Community Challenge. Still teams, still teams raising money. Um, and we did it and came field. together on <laughs> Zoom. Oh, okay. Totally not the same, not as fun. We lost some teams. We got some new teams. But it's now our third year. We've raised like $250,000, 250000 wow. the first time, two seventy five the second. So we're going in the right direction. And it's much more sustainable. So so with where we are now after the post pandemic, do you think you'd bring that back into the nope. the restaurant? No. No. Too much work? It was sixty five. You know you can't hand that off to anybody? No. Really? No. Well, it's, good pivot though. <laughs> yes, I thought uh, so. I think it's it's brilliant, man. You said you raised over three point two million. Two, two, over two point three million 2. in 3 eleven million. years. That's yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Um one other one thing that's come to my mind as you're talking, and something that I like to echo, I bring it up a lot. I think we forget there's two books out there that I think are must reads for restaurant owners. One's called America walks into the bar and the other one's called drunk, which is like a history of alcohol. Um, I mean, America walks into the bar is a history of like alcohol in America. And then drunk is like an anthropological approach to the history of alcohol and humans, homo sapiens relationship to alcohol. And we forget, but in, in the, these books, they, they point out that pubs, public houses, we're such a huge part of communities going back 200, 300 years ago. 
they were like churches. Like they were like, they were, the, it was the town office. It was the church. It was the, your form of entertainment. It was your post office. It was everything was the public house. Yep. The bar, it was, it wasn't just a bar. It was everything to everyone. And the people that owned these facilities were the most active individuals in their communities. Mm. They were like mayors. They, they, they ran the show and we've forgotten the history of pubs and our responsibility to our community to bring people together, to serve people. And I think it's important that we, that we, reconnect and see yeah i mean that's the opportunity yeah for that's sure. definitely the opportunity and and you know if you're not leveraging that side of it um i think you're missing out on the fun and you're missing out on the payback because what goes around comes around and you know people like going to places that are making a difference and an impact in their community for yeah. sure yeah so I think going along the natural uh, evolution of your business, you said the next big change for you guys uh, was when you outsource and you looked for help. You went to Las Vegas and you said, let's, let's really start focusing yeah. on, you were focusing on growth. Like how do we get more butts in the seats? And the next way you, you improve your business is now looking on the money going out. Right? Yeah. Costs. Yeah. And that's when you really start to hum is it's not just top line. Yeah. It's also bottom line. I remember my brother, um, <clears throat> You know, these guys want to do weekly inventories. They want every plate costed out. This is not easy to do. It's tedious. Yeah. And my brother's like, no, I'm not doing this. <laughs> and, you know, David or Fred is like, no, this is, this is what you got to do if you want to really run this thing and be profitable. And, and that's just an example of, you know, overcoming um, – you know, how you've always done things. And that was, and, and actually we brought on, um, at that time, my brother kind of stepped back a little bit and we had a chef come in and she did that stuff. Okay. You know, and. Uh, I know earlier you couldn't mention, you couldn't remember exactly when it was, when you started doing this. Was it late 2000s, early 2010s? I'm going to say uh, late 2000s. Okay, late 2000s. Like, yeah, so like I'm going to say uh, 10, 12, 15 years ago maybe. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Um, so uh, you, you pointed out two things that they really focus on, which is weekly inventory and costing out menu items, like like menu co or like uh, what's the word? Menu costing, basically. Yeah, and I wouldn't say costing. they focused on weekly inventories. They focused on knowing all your costs and managing all your costs. That's just you have to do weekly inventories yeah. to do that. Yeah. And when anybody listening to this like thinks of doing inventory. Usually it's some maybe like once a year, once a, you know, if ever, you know, like I, I we did it monthly, but you know, but it's a lot it, of work. It's a lot of work, but, um, you got to get systems. You got to get your system for inventory as efficient as possible. And I think that's the biggest pushback when it comes to inventory is that it's usually not a weekly thing, but when you make it a weekly thing, when it's not a weekly thing, it's extra work. Oh, it's slow. There's rain. Uh, let's do inventory. There's not a huge like, incentive to make it efficient either. Yeah. If you're doing it every week, you're like, no, let's let's put these things all in the same location and let's, you know, let me get a device that I can put this in on and let's yeah. let's cut that in half. Yeah. And there's that's another good point. There's also tools and technology available to us today to make inventory much yeah. better. Yep. So take us through that evolution of inventory and how just making it a weekly thing helped you guys improve your process you said you started being more intentional with where you put things well I'm, you know I, i'm not going to dwell on the inventory side of things but the you know the whole mindset that we were exposed to 
was um, culturally different and, uh, and, and tracking and doing the work to track the business. More work than I'd ever done with numbers. And it, you know, it, tracking labor and, and, and tracking cost of goods. It's not easy to say, okay, what we are, whatever you sold last week in the restaurant, say you sold $100,000 of food, what should your cost have been if you didn't you know, burn one thing, drop one thing? What should your cost of goods have been on that? Theoretical costs. Your theoretical costs. And, you know, and then, then you, of course, you've got to know your actual, and what is the difference? And you've got to narrow that spread to get it down to, you know, a point and a half or so of what it, you know, theoretically could be. And you've got to, you've got to look at all your pricing. You've got to put your best items in that menu and and sell those things the most. Um, I would know, even so, argue like anything that isn't on that list of best selling, just get rid of it. I mean, all this stuff is out there, yeah. for, but you got to do it. You got to yeah. do the work, and that's where we we said. You know, I think part of it is like, well, we're spending this money with, we better do the work, right? Yeah, what's the point of spending the money? That's the good thing about spending money is it forces you to do the work, right? Yeah. But you said something that really struck a chord with me, and that was cultural difference. Why is that? What do you mean by it, it creating so, a cultural difference? I think, um, I think early on, you know, we wanted to be everybody's friend as the owners and managers of the restaurant, our staff, I'm talking about, you know, and, and and we let a lot of stuff go that we shouldn't have, you know. Um, so th- you you take the wanting to be a good employer, and you misinterpret that to be, to try to be nice to everyone and accommodate everyone. And you know, culturally, we change to be this is what this is how we want it done. This is who we are. Cement it. Yeah. Either you are us or you are not us. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and it's checklists and standards of service. And this is how we do the business. And, you know, so you lose people in that process. And that's painful. But over time, you're like, oh, that was the best thing we ever did. Um, So you're you're recreating yourself in your culture. And when I say what I mean by that is it's not enough to say to say this is who we are. You have to put it on paper. Like this is our this is our this is our vision. This is our mission. These are our standards, our operating standards. This is how we do things. And if yeah. you put it onto paper, it cements it. And that's the way. Then, and then you have to manage it. You have to inspect that yep. it all gets done. Mm-hmm. And because and, and that I think that was the cultural change I'm talking about is, you know, saying this is the way it needs to be done or, you know, we'll train you again if we need to or train you again if you need to. But then if you, you know, if it's not, if it's if you're not doing that, then it's time to you know replace that employee with someone yeah. who will do it that way. Yep. And you know we're that's a work in process forever. And it okay. never ends. <laughs> it never yeah. ends. And we have so many new people each year and new kids. And but you've got this um, this set of standards to always go back to, whether it's the front of the house or the back of the house. And uh, that was the big difference for us. Huge difference. Yeah, I love that. Um, what were the biggest challenges for you in getting to that point? 
because you said you, there was oh. a little resistance up front with like this is going to be so much work. Checklist is such a pain in the you know. <laughs> you, I mean, I'll still uh, I'll come in and I'll see uh, the front lights aren't on and we're open for business, and I'm like, uh, Meg, can I see the checklist, please? And you know, maybe the checklist wasn't done because that's on there. Yeah, and that's why we have the checklist. So you know, it's you've got to keep enforcing that because um, it's it's like it's it's like a three page opening manager's checklist is huge. Yeah, but you can't remember all that stuff no. on your own. Yeah, and that's the cool thing about creating system and process is when it comes to correcting people it come becomes less about correcting the person and saying you're doing this wrong and it it becomes more about correcting the process the behavior that's saying, a great point yeah like hey like yeah this is this is the right way to do it yeah it's not you and it's not you know it's your not process. your attitude it's not anything yeah. it's just you you just didn't use the checklist exactly. and you forgot that and that's what danny myers means by constant gentle pressure hmm. the, the thing isn't in the right place the light's not on. Yeah, it's not. It's just saying the light's not on. It's on the checklist. Next time, don't forget that. And you're not coming down on the person and saying you're doing a bad job. It's yep. like, here's the process. Yeah, it's black and white too. Yeah. If it's like, okay, you know, if that checklist isn't used or it's incorrectly filled out after, you know, then how long? How many times? Are you gonna, is it going to be two times, yeah. three times before you're like, okay, this isn't working out. Yeah, and I think another big lesson with that that constant gentle pressure, that Danny Meyer example, is that no matter what you do, no matter how long you've been doing it, what, how long the standard's been a standard, people are still going to mess it up. And absolutely, yeah, <laughs> don't lose your shit because like, hey, you, chef, you have zero control over that. Um, okay, cool. I'm loving the conversation. Um, how once you started doing these things, once you started doing the, uh, weekly inventory. Uh, once you started doing recipe cards and costing down to the penny and knowing where all of your money is going, David Scott Peters did a workshop with us, by the way. Um, if you just Google search restaurant unstoppable, David Scott Peters menu engineering, he goes through this entire process. It's gold. If you guys have not caught that episode. Um, no, I haven't, but I'll, I'll, I'll listen to it for sure. Yeah. Uh, Cause um, I've got out of touch with David. He hasn't, you know, it's mostly been Fred and his company yeah, for he, the last, they, they parted ways, yeah. not like in a good way. They, Dave wanted to focus more on his speaking. And that's why he really excites yeah. him. Um, so what started changing here? How did, how did things start to change here when you started to implement these standards? Like Everyone what, could get paid more, mm. including us. What was your profitability? Like how, how did that change by percentage? Oh, uh, probably, oh, let's see, maybe 3 or 4%. That's a huge, three, three points? Yeah. That, that's and when you how much volume are you doing a year would you say uh we were approaching four mil when uh, pandemic hit so what's three points on four million right yeah that's hundred twenty thousand. Yeah. yeah what can you do with a hundred and twenty thousand more a yeah. year Take you can pay yourself and, more you can pay others more yeah. you can invest yeah yeah it's huge it's big stuff it's worth doing the extra work One hundred and twenty thousand a year yep yeah and once you build systems you plug people into the systems now you don't have to be there the doing it all the time. I mean, that's the, that's the gift of, um, so 10 years ago I was diagnosed or say 12 years ago now, so maybe 13 or 14. My God, I was diagnosed with prostate cancer. Oh, um, had surgery, turned out it was in my lymph nodes and we went on to radiation <laughs> and hormone therapy. And, you know, it was not looking good for a little while. It was a kind of a, a rare, but aggressive type of prostate cancer. And, um, the, the, the forecast wasn't looking good. 
And we came out of that, and I've been cancer-free, and uh, I owe that to finding some great doctors who, who are trying some novel things. And it's, it's in retrospect, it's a gift to having gone through that process. In what way? Um, of what do you want to do in your life? And are you doing everything you want to be doing? And I remember uh, coming out of that, I decided uh, at some point, I'm, I'm not working the floor anymore because I wasn't even a manager on duty anymore. It was just I'd come in and host and, you know, and see people and talk to customers and, you know, and staff and all of that. Sidebar, best restaurateurs in the world are hosts. Yeah. Keep going. I mean, it's, it's, I love doing yeah. it, but I'm like, okay, I'm really done with that now. Mm-hmm. And I remember uh, one of my fellow restaurateurs down the street is like, you're going to lose business. And I'm like, I know, I will. You know, there'll be people who, they want to see you there. And, um, you know, it's a conscious choice. And I wanted to not be here as much. And, I, I, and so since that time, I, now I, I really enjoy owning and working on the restaurant. I think it was David Scott Peters or say, don't, we, we want you working on the restaurant, not in the yeah. restaurant. And that's what I'm doing now. Yeah. And so, and, you know, and we have a good plan for our managers. Um, to keep them motivated and get to a certain point. And, uh, but it allows me to just work with them yeah. and, and, you know, uh, with our office manager and, you know, the marketing side and the graphics and social media side. Like, I like working on that yeah. stuff. New technology. Yep. You know, there's, it's important. It's like, um, I think people should want to be in their restaurant. Ultimately, you did it for so many years, right? But eventually, you got to think about, is this whole business going to hinge on me? In a lot of people, when they're when they're starting out, they do make the business hinge on them, and the business starts to center around them. If they're not there, it's not the same experience. It's really important to be mindful of that because you might get sick, you might want to sell. If you create a, a system dependent, a culture dependent operation, and you don't make it hinge on yourself from day one, that transition out. If you have that men- that mentality going in, it's so much easier to transition out. If say. 10 years into it after a ton of success, your passions change or your interests change. You want to open a new restaurant. If you create a, a business that is a standalone, sta- it can stand on, on its own two feet, from day one, if you have that mentality, I mean, what, what, what's going through your mind as I'm saying this? No, I'm just shaking my head up and yeah. down. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and you, but you can make the transition. Because like, I, I would think that most new owners, it is about, it is about them. It's their yeah. personality. And, mm-hmm. and, but at some point, they're like, okay, you know, I want to spend more time with my family. I want, to, I want to get out of here a little more and do other things. And you just, you bring others in to fill that void and um, having them lead some events, having them uh, be handing out the checks and, and, and press releases and getting your customers to know, oh, there's, an, there's kind of another sheriff here. And people want to know who the boss is. And and you kind of transition out as the boss on the floor, but they want to know, okay, who is the boss on the floor? So you kind of bring them up in the visibility with your customers. And I think that goes a long way. For sure. So we started talking about, um, I mean, you've been in, in business now for 28 years. I can only think about the evolution that a business goes through. We talked a lot about how your processes changed. Um, you went to doing weekly inventory checklists, things of this nature. 
we've also talked about technology and how you start implementing new technology. Um, we talked about COVID and how that really forced you to change how you're doing things because you went from being majority in-house dining to having no option but to be takeout and delivery. Uh, and I want to talk a lot about COVID just because I feel like people are just want to be over it. But what things do you do today that you continue to do out of a necessity that have made you better because of it? Well, um, the technology, you know, the technology of, of going to the cloud-based POS and all that comes along with that, you know, online ordering now, it's, uh, we're just rolling and toying with order and pay at the table. Not so much order at the table, but we'll really want to look into that because there will be some people who want to do that. And there's, with alcohol, there's still some questions we have of how to implement that and introduce it that it works for the for what we're doing here. But pay at the table, you know, people are paying at the table and you know, there's like, did that person pay? They're out, they're just walking out. <laughs> are we chasing them out the door or did they already pay? Um, then, uh, you know, just collection of, of as much data as you can in that process. I mean, all that stuff, I'm, I'm, we're, uh, we're upgrading, we're getting off, um, a waitlist. I think it's called Waitlist Me. Is the Yelp. app? I think it used to be Waitlist Me. It's and they, Yelp bought it, correct? Me I don't know, but we're we've we've been using that. And maybe uh, Waitlist was the original that I knew of that Yelp bought, and Waitlist Me is a different product. I mean, it's really good. It's really the way it interacts with customers lets us manage the waitlist and all that. But um, now we're we're moving to Toast Waitlist, which has. Any any POS in the restaurant can see, you know, what do I have for open tables? Yeah. Who's ordered? When did you start using a waitlist app? How long ago was that? I think it was right after um, we got shut down for COVID. Okay. How, this is one thing I just don't understand. When there is a restaurant that's busy enough to constantly have a line, why wouldn't you have a waitlist app? Like after implementing it. There's, it's just because you're, you're probably too busy uh, running the restaurant yeah. then figuring out how to... <laughs> how, yeah, but how has that impacted your your business since... Oh, it's adopting? just much smoother at the door. Yeah. Our, our, our people's first introduction, is it's just better. You know, you give us a, your name and number and, okay, that's probably going to be 20, 25 minutes, but then, boom, you're getting the message on your phone. And five more minutes. Yeah. Ten, what is it, like 15 minutes, 10 yeah. more minutes, five more minutes? It works. Some people want to wait outside. They want to wait in the car, whatever. Yeah. But, I mean, there's one restaurant that's in, that's in New Hampshire, not in Exeter, but in New Hampshire that comes to mind that always has a wait. It could be Tuesday at 3 o'clock. There's an hour wait, and they don't have any type of app. They're still using pen and paper. I'm not going to say the name of the restaurant because I don't want to talk trash. But in my mind, I'm like, why would you make your customers sit in one spot for an hour? Why not respect their time? Well, even when you have the coasters, yeah. right, and you've got a full restaurant, and now your host is – they they're paging someone, but a lot of times people have that pager underneath something in their pocket. You're wandering around. They're dirty. Like people trying bring them to, to the find people. Yeah, and you, you take five minutes to find them. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's that. Plus, how many people see a line and just go someplace else? Where you if know, they can stack and get queued up, and they know they don't have to be there yes, right away. I do not 
like to wait in lines. No one does. But yeah. like you might say you're busy from like uh, 11 o'clock to a.m. to say 2 o'clock p.m. And then you could have had a whole another hour where you're busy, but people saw the line and they said, let's go somewhere else. Yeah. That's a whole other seating that you're missing out on because you don't want to spend 30 bucks a month to have an app yeah. do something. Yeah. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like you got to look at potential earnings, not what you're spending per month because um, I can see how people might be like, I don't need another expense. But are you losing business? Are you are you providing value? To yeah. A, a In more the big picture, experience? it's probably well, you know, good money spent. Yeah. Yep. Um. What? So you talked about um, any other thing we, that you've done recently? Like online ordering's huge for you guys. Have you noticed that you, even after the pandemic, are you are your online orders pick up, take out? So what's important high? to us is is that we're taking we're providing good service and prompt turnaround with the with people's food here in the restaurant. So what we've got better at is managing the, um, we call it throttling. Uh, I don't know if that's from toast or not, but slowing down online orders. And, and now at times we'll hit a button and our phone system goes to voicemail. It's like, and the message is something like this. We're so busy, we can't help you. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a okay. lot of truth to that. Um, get into why that's important. Well, it, it allows us to provide the service level we want to the guests that are here. And, you know, we, we try not to offend anyone with not serving them, but more important is serving the people you have here. So we'll slow down online ordering or stop it. Um, we'll... And when we put the phones like that, I don't even remember what it says right now, but it's it it all of a sudden it lets our staff kind of get grounded again. Instead of the phones are ringing off the hook and this is happening, that's happening, all of a sudden it quiets. They get recentered. They're good with the service for the people that are here, and and then turn the phones back on, turn the online ordering back on, and let's. So keep is rolling. this? Is, do you have a soft phone like a like a technology phone that comes in through the internet and like? Is it like an automatic it's, answering service that you use? Is that a no, prioritize? no, it's, I don't know how to describe the phone, but it's got mode A, B, C on it, you know, and, and, and mode A is how we normally operate. And mode B is when we're closed. Mode C is when we're in the weeds. <laughs> okay. And that's, that's pretty much it. Got it. Yeah. Um, but there's a, a solution. So a lot of, you are a, a full service sit down restaurant. That's what you do. Yes. Right. There's a lot of restaurants that might be somewhere in the middle of like in-house and takeout, and uh, a lot of behavior changed after the pandemic, where people more people take out than ever before. They developed habits using apps, and now more people just order out than ever before. Yep. If you're a restaurant and you don't want to lose that order out, and you you're finding that you're having the same issue where your your kitchens just can't keep up with in-house and takeout, what's the aside from just shutting off the phone, if you, if you want to focus on in-house and I think I get that, what are your thoughts on starting another line? Yeah. You know, by line, I mean like, like a a kitchen cooking line. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, 20 years ago, that might be my thinking. Yeah. And I think, I think that's a cool thing that not a lot of people really think about is like, I could just have a, a quote unquote ghost kitchen, which is a separate kitchen that does all of our food that, is 100% takeout because the, or, or delivery, it really works best with delivery because people don't care where it came from as long as it shows up at their house. Right. Um, just something to think about. Yeah. I mean, that's, what's working for some, it it kind of depends on their space and in their market. But, uh, for us, it's, it's like, 
No, we don't want to go there. Yeah. We've talked a, a lot about many different things today, but is there anything we have not brought to the conversation that you think you can uniquely speak to or is a big part of your story that you think needs to come out? I don't think so. Hey, Meg. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think we've covered uh, most of what I think, if there's anything I have to offer, um, I think we've probably covered it, yeah. Who, again, so I, I like to echo that the mission statement is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. Thinking about the man you were in 1994 to the man you are today, how have you most trans transformed? Well, I've got a lot of arthritis in my right hip, <laughs> tendinopathy in my right elbow. Oh, That's, That's rough. <laughs> messing with my some of my activities. Um, you know, um, I you know we all just kind of mellow with age and hopefully get wiser and get get better with age. Yeah. Um, and stress a little less, hopefully. I certainly stress a lot less. Um, what are you? What's happening internally? Is it a narrative that you tell yourself? A reminder to not be stressed. How is it that you stress less today? I think you know lifestyle. All right, it's yeah. you know how you sleeping, how you eating. You know, uh, are you taking moments for yourself? Are you just locked in your devices and lock, you know? So it's just kind of letting some things go. Yeah. So, um, you know, you know, you get, I'm 65, so I have good health right now and I want to be the best I can for as long as I can. So, you, you know, focus becomes a little bit more self-centered about, okay, what do I need to do to, to, to get better sleep Yeah. and what should I be eating and when should I be eating and. And I mean, these are all things I love to share with people. I mean, yeah. I really get into that kind of stuff, and especially since I was sick a while ago. But to share that knowledge with some of my staff that are interested in, you know, trying to just uh, all of us be um, able to do more of what we want to do when you're feeling good. And, and lately, like I told you about arthritis, I mentioned that, right? So there was, this is a little while here, I wasn't sleeping well. And wow, it's a different outlook. I don't have the energy to get through and do the things. And when, you know, when that kind of subsided and I get my sleep back, I'm like, wow, I'm back on my game. Yeah. It's, it's night and day. Sleep is important. Um, I was curious. You're talking about how behaviors are changing. Your behaviors changed from like your life behaviors, your choice, like how you choose to give your time, where you give your time, yeah. what you eat. I think this is like a universal collectiveness right now where people are much more mindful today about what am I doing? What am I putting into my body? What Definitely. Kind of Definitely. Do you think that hurts the bar business? Is the bar business in trouble because people are making healthier choices? A little bit. I mean, there's a little pressure in that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it's, I think it's, I think that kind of transformed, mm, I don't know, decades ago. You know, I mean, when we first started here, man, we were cranking right to the end mm -hmm. and, and kicking people out of here. And, you know, we were sitting, well, this is an addition here, but, you know, the smoking and yeah. and driving and, and, and drinking and it's, it's all changed. And But I, don't, I think that everyone still wants to come out and have a drink or two. And that's, yeah. Yep. yeah. I mean, alcohol definitely, and this is something that I think is important to, 
I love alcohol. I never want alcohol to go away. You know, it's weird to say that out loud but in, in today's <laughs> environment, but alcohol does so much good. You know, it's weird to say that because it has such a negative stigma in the industry, especially right now where people are getting away, but it does a lot of good. It does a in that book drunk. They talk about how alcohol really helped us become what we are today in the sense that it helps us coexist with other people. It lowers our defenses. It helps us love more, you know, and there's a lot of truth to that because we were fearful of our, the neighboring tribes and stuff when we were nomadic, but they believed that it was the creation of alcohol, not bread that kicked off agriculture and beyond when you drink <laughs> alcohol, you're less afraid of people. You're more open. You're more genuine. You're, you're able to coexist with more people. And they think that that's the lubrication, literal lubrication sure. that helped us be what we are today. And also there's a lot of history and ritual and dance and all these things that come with the the, consum- the consumption of alcohol. And it's also good to get to know people and to break down barriers. It's a very powerful drug and it can be used for good. And I think that we need to focus on the good and echo the good and say like, listen, use this thing to, to, to make stronger relationships, to, to break down walls, to get people to open up, to, to have people be more transparent and comfortable around each other. Like it's great for that. And it's fun too. <laughs> there's, there's, yeah, there's two sides to that, yeah. of course. I mean, you're talking to someone who's done a lot of drinking over the, you know, my life. Yeah. And a lot of, a lot of bad things came out of my drinking. For sure. Um, you know, from car accidents to, you know, just other stupid things. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> you know, partially physically, you can't do it anyway. You're too yeah, sick the no. next day. But it's it, you know, I was just there's a balance. There's a balance, yeah. and you got to find that. You know, you got to find that, and 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 have that balance. And it's not always easy yeah. when you're younger. It's it's. I mean, part of the issue is that we have alcohol in such abundance today that's unprecedented. Going back 400 years ago you couldn't get super drunk because there wasn't enough for everybody to get super <laughs> drunk where today you go to the grocery store, like the, the liquor store and you can get enough al- alcohol to like, tranquilize a, a, a herd of elephants. Yeah. You know, that's unprecedented. Like you can go to a bar and have 30 different beers on tap bottomless. That's unprecedented. So I think that's part of the issue too, is that it's so accessible today, whereas it wasn't in, it's so much easier to become an alcoholic today. I mean, I just you just remind me of something that we try to do here, and that is to be we'll shut people off sooner than later. Yeah. You know about this uh, while we're on this topic, and you know we've lost customers because of that, but people also know uh, the community. This isn't a place you come to get drunk, and it makes life so much easier for the staff. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean it's, it, there's a sweet spot of of that social lubrication, yeah. that that euphoric and but but you you know not going past that is yeah. where trouble starts finding that balance being aware of it but i think that's why it's important to educate people on it because when you get that perspective of the history of alcohol it helps you it helps your relationship with it i think well, it sounds interesting it's I, a fascinating yeah, book yeah. drunk uh, how we like trip stumbled and danced our I'm, way into society or i'm something. gonna not take the note right now because i'm gonna listen to this podcast later <laughs> and i'll yeah. take the note it's down. on audible too if you like audible books or audiobooks oh, there's one other thing you mentioned slightly that interests me and i just remembered i think it'd be cool to, to wrap up on um you're not just a restaurant owner today right you own other businesses yes you've yeah. scaled and you talked about you rented this, this space originally now you own the um the plaza, the plaza here yep talk to us about why it's good to own well, you have your destiny. I mean, um, a, a, a tenant, a uh, landlord-tenant relationship. I mean, I have 
personal relationships with all the the um, tenants here. And but there's I've heard the stories where you know they don't have a good lease and they develop you know ten years later they've got a great business going and you're all of a sudden your lease doubles and you're like okay so hmm. much for that profit I was making yeah you know um, so I I just think that those longer options for leases. So you have, you know, options of years to make decisions or renegotiate before yeah. you get anywhere close to the end um, works. Or when you purchase it, you know, you, you've got your own destiny. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's really important. So I think it was what you, you mentioned the date when you owned. It was like 2002. So it was around the time that you started putting systems into place in your business. I mean... I guess what the point I'm trying to make is it's one thing to own a restaurant. It's another thing to be a landlord. It's a whole nother list. It's way easier. Yeah. It's way easier. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the bills and the paperwork's taken care of in our, in our office, it's very minor. And then, you know, things break sometimes and things happen and you fix them and, you know, um, but so it's so much easier than this game. I have so we had a laundromat. We owned the laundromat for a while, and then we sold it to a friend. And but you know, you, you start seeing like these laundromat without any help or storage areas that are just selling out. Like wow, that's you know that's a great business. Right. No employees. Car you know, not many moving parts. Yeah. yeah. So. I don't know what I would what I would do if I was to start again as a youngster. Right. Uh, but I, if I did get into the restaurant business, and I loved it, my kids worked here. They they learned good work ethic here. Um, Let me rephrase this question. Yeah. Do you think in 1996 you would have been able to do all the extra stuff you were doing on top of being in this restaurant every day? No way. Yeah. So the, what I was hoping that would come out of the, the question is this idea that you once you get your business the point where you're working on it and not in it, you get to work on other things too. And that's when the magic really starts to happen where you can really 10x your income is is creating an asset, getting it standalone, and then build like growing. Yeah, Uh, and it could be be growing, uh, you know, you said 10x your income or it could be 10x your happiness. contribution yeah. in the community or happiness or yeah, yeah or hobbies or whatever. Yeah, yeah. awesome stuff. Yeah. Um what so the you talked about how you've transformed one more question before we go to the speed round. Uh oh. So again, to inspire, empower, and transform the industry uh, is the mission statement of, of this podcast. What do you think needs to transform about the industry? Where are we today and where do you think we could be or should be as far as what we could be doing better? Whoa. Well, I think, I don't know, it's like very cultural, societal issue that affects the people coming in to work. I mean, um, the are we, are we going to a virtual world? I, I don't know. You know, I, I, I think there's going to be a kids, virtual element of the world, but I don't think the physical world's so going anywhere. I'm some of the last of the free range kids, you know, where you, you get booted out, go play, and then, you know, someone shouts or whistle or whatever and you come in and have dinner and you know and god knows the things you could get into Mm -hmm. and that doesn't happen anymore kids kids aren't playing sports unless they're in a uniform and there's someone with a you know uh, an umpire there so and and their engagement with devices and the virtual world when they get to these jobs 
they're they're not as equipped. Yeah, socially. Um, I don't know. So that that doesn't answer your question. No, it I, does. I think the change is um, reminding people that we are physical beings first, not digital. You know, and 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 that social aspect, uh, the, the being able to communicate face to face. Uh, is a big part of who we are and what we need to be happy. And there's, you know, we're more detached. And also, ironically, we live in a, a world that's never been so safe, yet people are killing themselves more than ever before. Why? Like, what's missing? What's what's the void? What's the reason for that? As you're saying that, I, I'm thinking, well, maybe there's some additional training we need to do for young, youngsters coming in to, to make sure some of the social things, some of the... Some of the things we would expect them to be prepared for that maybe they're not, mm-hmm. and maybe we need to look at, and maybe the industry as a whole, you know, needs to spend a little more time with some of the kids coming in. Yes, and that's exactly what I mean by if you transform the industry, you transform the world. And we have so much influence in the restaurant industry. Most people, their first job is in the restaurant industry. We have the ability to transform, to influence the next generation by giving them this knowledge, by empowering them. And I think we could be better about doing that. And I think if you transform this industry, you raise the bar on our industry, the world is going to be a better place. Uh, you know, I think it's a great interpretation, right. right? And we can interpret those things different ways. That's empowering to me. I, I'm I'm inspired by you saying that for sure. Yeah, man. Let's, let's go with that. Towards. I'm yeah. loving this conversation. One more quick break to thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back to bust out a speed round. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs, and effective labor management is more important than ever to ensure profitability and restaurant success, especially with this labor shortage. You need to rely and trust technology technology more than ever before and dialing in your labor management is one of the most positive dramatic impacts you can make on your business's bottom line and when it comes to labor management seven shifts is one of the most if not the most organically recommended labor management platforms on the show trusted by over 500,000 restaurant professionals seven shifts gives you the complete toolkit you need to easily manage your team's schedules timesheets communication tasks tips and more all from one place best of all seven shifts integrates with the pos and payroll system you're already using like toast to make smart operating decisions and turn labor management into a competitive advantage for your business. Restaurant Unstoppable members get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven S H I F T S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. This episode is brought to you by MyRestaurantCFO.com. MyRestaurantCFO exists because their experience over the years has revealed all the frustrations, bottlenecks, and pain points restaurant owners experience when managing their establishment. Beyond their understanding of all the ills that plague the restaurant industry, MyRestaurantCFO realizes that restaurants are like snowflakes. No two are the same, so they avoid the cookie-cutter approach. MyRestaurantCFO 
CFO's goal is to be your partner in success by learning all there is to know about your business and putting together a custom solution that gives you only what you need and to be the guiding hand that helps you achieve your goals. My Restaurant CFO partners with restaurants to simplify financial management by offering full service bookkeeping, payroll, and CFO services. Spending more on a CFO will actually improve your profitability and help you achieve a better work-life balance. With my restaurant CFO, you'll be able to focus your time on positive customer experiences, always know how your money is working for you and where you can save, no learning curve, and no more late nights trying to make sense of your financial ecosystem. When you partner with my restaurant CFO, they'll provide accurate weekly and monthly reporting, trend analysis for easy forecasting, improved control over vendor costs, complete financial analysis, and recommendations sourced from over 30 years of operational experience and 10 years of consulting experience on how to save more money. If you're ready to start making the right decisions for the growth of your business, your call to action is to go to myrestaurantcfo.com slash unstoppable. And when you use that link, you will get a one hour consulting session with the founder and partner of my restaurant CFO.com, Miguel Miranda, also a past guest on the show. That's my restaurant CFO.com slash unstoppable. We're back. And the first question I have for you is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? You know, at you got your notes. I, I have some notes <laughs> and I might refer to them here. So I like, I like helping people. Mm. I like helping them in their lives. I love that. Um, and I think that's a, probably one of the more positive characteristics. What is your mine. biggest weakness? Uh, this is funny. I was talking to my wife because I was going through these questions you might ask me. And probably I'm, I'm also self-centered. So how do you, how do you, I'm like, is, that's kind of, I mean, I care about, I, I enjoy contributing and making a difference in people's lives, but I'm also self-centered. Well, I'm, I can relate with that. Um, I think what happens when we help people is that we are seen, we're recognized. That's the reward, right? Yeah. So it's, it's almost the, the, the act of helping people is selfless, but it's also selfish because it's the reward of knowing that you're helping others and being seen and valued. I think the, the, the being seen and valued for what you do, some of us, I mean, it's, we all need to be seen and valued. It's part of being a human yeah. to, to be seen. I think that's a part of it. And I don't think there should be shame in that. No, no, but I, I, I'm, I'm talking about more petty things, oh, okay. you know, like, <laughs> I <tried>. um, <laughs> you know, yeah, you get a chance to, uh, I don't know, go to a fundraiser tonight. I'm like, nah, you know, it's just like, I sometimes first, my, my first thought is myself, yeah. my comfort, my, <laughs> what do I want to do? And that's not what I want to do. So yeah, I'd say that. I like that. Uh, what is one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process when you're looking to grow your team? Well, this is easy because I don't do interviews anymore, and I stopped doing them not long into my tenure here, uh, probably 25 years ago, because I, I, like I would just try to make my interviewees comfortable and ask them softball questions <laughs> and, and fall in love with them and hire them. And they'd be like, what did you do hiring this person? <laughs> I'm like, I thought they were awesome. <laughs> I wanted them to like so, you. So yeah, I don't, do, don't have an answer for you on that one. That's fine. Uh, what is your biggest challenge today with your business? 
Oh yeah, it's that's the easy one. Staying profitable, maintaining profitability in the face of uh, huge labor increases, cost pretty much across the board, and uh, so just just managing, uh, being very close to the numbers. So what's, we can, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. No, say what's the one thing you've done that's had the biggest impact on that and the new the new arena. Well, I hate to say the the easy one is raise your prices. Yeah. You know, but you you don't you can only go so far and we'll see where this economy's going. But, you know, you you've got to raise your prices, but at the same time you can't let your guard down on your service, to, you know, anything else. I'm happy you said that because I think that's something that we could all be better about is our prices should be dynamic. When you do recipe costing, you have costing cards. Like you see exactly where your money is going, and if your ingredients are getting more expensive, then the customer needs to pay for that. Yes, pay they do. Forward. And there's there's your cost of goods, which you have a goal you're shooting for, but there's also what what will the market bear? Yeah, and and so sometimes you're not getting what you want, but it's like, well, this is what we have to. Yeah. But and again, that's like our responsibility, I think, to educate the market and saying this is what cost the food is. Like, this is what it costs. Like, you know, like, and like they, it's our job to tell them, especially they, they want better value too. They want better ingredients. Okay. This is what that costs. Yes. Yeah. You know, yeah. this is what food done yeah. right costs. Yep. And it's on us to educate people about that. You know, um, what do you, do you agree? I don't, I don't know. You know, okay. I don't know how you educate them on, uh, on, you know, they're coming out for an experience and a good time. Um, you know, they're not paying attention to our business or articles about restaurants and what we're challenged with. So I don't know. I, I mean, agree with you on that statement. They're not paying attention. I mean, I think in our marketing, when we can, you know, you can acknowledge price increases and we're doing everything we can. And, you know, you can make statements like that and some people will pay attention to them or not. So I, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. This is a way to be, a way to act. Core value. Uh, to have fun. Have fun and make people's day. What is one standard, uh, standard of service you teach your team? So sorry, one so, common standard of service. Yes, that's a great question. And we are just actively engaged in the common standards. Um, I can't think of one uncommon standard outside of anything, any other restaurant. We just really try to strive on the... <laughs> the basics there the basics you know and, and so the uncommon thing would be how do you how do you um exceed someone's expectations all right okay. so and that's that's kind of an art and you're paying attention you're being present with your customers and so that's what we would look for yeah, not just going through the motions not just going through the motions yeah. yeah what is one thing you feel restaurant tours don't do well enough or often enough oh i would say uh Engaging with the community, like finding a, finding a passion that's happening that for them that's happening in the community and supporting that and getting getting more engaged and more out there with the community. Yes. Yeah. What is one service you've outsourced? So something that you could never do as well in house, so you've found somebody else to do it for you. I mean, there's all the basic things. You know, we get our knives sharpened by someone else, and we have uh, most things when we can we keep in house. Mm -hmm. We've got a great woman who does our graphics and social media, you know, that just makes our life so much easier in that regard. Are you able to give some shout outs? Kate Lilly. Yeah. yeah. She, does she have she's, a she's local. Um, oh my God. 
I think it's Lily Design, but I'm not sure. <laughs> we'll try to find it's out. Kate Lily in Guilford. Got it. She's amazing. What is one piece of technology that has had a huge impact on your operation? Well, the move to Toast. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I'm nervous about. I'm nervous about their credit card processing, and they've made some commitments about keeping the cost to where we were. But you know, to to use Toast, you've got to it's closed. Yeah, you got to use their processor. You got to use their processor, and you know we're putting more marbles in the Toast bucket every day. And and uh, you know, I just I just um, it's paying off. It's it's letting us be a best a better restaurant because of that. But it's got a lot of. Um, I just have a concern having that much tied into a, a company that has yeah. too much control for me. And I will say Toast is an affiliate. It, it gets brought up a lot. I'm always reminding you guys at the end of the show to use our affiliate links. Head over to Restaurant Unstoppable slash whatever the episode number is. Uh, if you use our link, it's like $1,000 like payout to me. And that's... Every little bit helps. I travel. <laughs> yeah, I'm all thousand over the bucks place. is good, man. If you're finding value <laughs> in this podcast, like please just use my links. It's as easy as don't even do a Google search for toast. Just go to restaurantunstoppable.com <laughs> slash whatever the episode number is. Click the link and then I'll get credit and you're helping this podcast. And, out, yeah, so. and I, I would say you should take a look at it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, most recommended POS on the show. So this is the last question. It's a doozy, so open up your ears. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your businesses, your restaurant would be lost with your departure with the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy. What would those three pieces of wisdom be? This is, these are crazy questions, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, these are crazy. Uh, they're supposed to be crazy. Yeah. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of wisdom in making people's day. Yeah. Make people's day. That's number and, one. You know, have some fun. Is that number two? Yeah. Okay. What's number three? Leave things better off after you've been there. I love it, man. This has been a great conversation, Alan. Thank you so much. Uh, we wrap up every chat by calling somebody out or giving somebody a shout out. Who do you respect and admire in the industry that you look up to, maybe whether it's locally or nationally, that you think would be a great guest in the show like you made for us today? Yeah, I thought about that, and uh, I, th I think of um, a guy named Bob Manley, who he and his two partners uh, have created this Hermit Woods Winery in Meredith, okay. and uh, I, I was just over there recently, and he's, he's, they're just creating something very special, very unique in what they do, and uh, he's, he, he's uh, I admire him for what he's accomplished, yeah. Bob Manley, look out. I'm coming after you. I'd love to get you on the show. Look out, Bob. And uh, you mentioned your contact information once before, but do it one more time in case we want to connect with you, ask you questions. If we're going to, if we liked your idea for your uh, Pub Mania. Pub Mania. Yeah. Info, INFO at Patrick's Pub, just like it sounds, patrickspub.com. Patrick. Thank you, was Patrick. Alan, thank you so much. <laughs> I get for that all the time. time. I know. I just, you just said it, so it was stuck in my head. Alan, thank you so much for taking the time. Been a pleasure, Eric. Thanks. I mean, I, I can't do what I do without people like you sharing their time and their knowledge. You make the show possible, and there is no questioning, my man. Even though you don't feel like it, you are unstoppable. <laughs> thank you. Thanks so much. <laughs> Cheers. Thank you. There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Special thanks to our guest today, Alan Beadle for coming on the show and sharing your inspiring story. And I love it when I have guests on the show who have zero restaurant experience and come in and just 
crush. And it doesn't happen overnight. As Alan showed, it takes time, sometimes five years or more to keep showing up and to build that business and to figure things out. But the trick is keep showing up, keep learning, keep building, never stop. You will become unstoppable. I love it. You you know, I I like to operate in complete transparency. And I think one of Restaurant Unstoppable's unique selling propositions, I know one of Restaurant Unstoppable's unique selling propositions is trust that I take the time to go through the obstacle, to do the hard thing, to look out for my listeners in their best interests. And Today's episode and later in the week uh, on Thursday, we have another guest. Uh, Both of these guests were referred to me by Fred Langley over at Restaurant Systems Pro. And uh, Restaurant Systems Pro is a a platform that's been on my radar now for a little while. uh, Co-founded with David Scott Peters. Um, Actually, I think David Scott Peters was the founder and later on uh, brought on Fred as a partner. And this is a, a, a company that's been on my radar that I've heard nothing but great things about, but always off air. So Fred and Restaurant Systems Pro are going to be a sponsor next month. And I said, Fred, we're going to get some testimonials of people talking about your services because I need to show my work. I need to prove to my listeners that I'm not just, you know, um, chasing the money. I need to have people who use your tool that can say we freaking love this and it's helped us look at how it's helped us so that's kind of what's going on here in full transparency and i'm excited to to get more people on the show that are using restaurant systems pro really interested to see the growth of restaurant systems pro they're more than just software uh they're a community of restaurant owners and i'm actually going to be heading out to uh, milwaukee next week to grab some local interviews and i'm going to be attending the restaurant systems pro mastermind so uh if you guys are interested in learning more about restaurant systems pro go to www.go.restaurantsystemspro.net slash restaurant hyphen unstoppable. That's a lot to remember. So I'll have a link in the show notes, but if you use that link, you'll get a a free access to 60 day training. Uh, So make sure you head over and check out that link and uh, learn more about restaurant systems pro. And uh, yeah, that's it for today. Thank you guys all so much for sticking around this long. Also, special thanks to Jared Parisi over at Sumatra Podcast for helping me edit and do the copy for this podcast. If you're interested in a podcast, reach out to Jared at SumatraPodcast.com. That's it for today. Until next time, peace out.